But let's look at Luke chapter 6 this morning. Uh, we are looking at Jesus' life group. Jesus had a life group. Did you know that? His life group was the 12 apostles. And uh, there's, there's uh, four things that I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about prayer. I want to talk about the 12. I want to talk about um, the apostles' uniqueness. And then I want to talk about their ordinariness and um, how that will encourage each one of us. So this morning we are looking at uh, Jesus handpicking the 12 apostles, starting with verse 12. The Bible says, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles, Simon, who he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Twelve men that Jesus handpicked. And the first thing we see in this passage, this uh, scripture this morning, is that Jesus first prayed about it. The Bible says he was up all night in prayer. Now think about this for a minute. The God of the universe, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, God manifested in the flesh, was up all night praying to God the Father, asking for wisdom. He was about to make a very critical decision that would impact, that would begin the future of the New Testament church. And before he made that decision of who was going to be his apostles, he spent all night in prayer. That's a sermon right there in and of itself. We could go home right now, okay? And we, we need to be asking ourselves the question, how much, how much do I pray? Here Jesus is conveying to us, is, is modeling for us how critical prayer is. And I don't know about you, but I fall woefully short. Instead of praying about things, you know what? I like to worry about things. And I like to stay up all night, and I like to fret, and I like to try to figure it out on my own. And we could save ourselves a lot of problems, a lot of time, a lot of anxious moments, If we just take the time to pray, to pray first. You know, there's an issue this week that I've been 
battling in my mind for months. Finally, I said, God, help. I need a breakthrough here. (laughs) You know, the very next day, he brought a breakthrough. (laughs) The problem's not solved yet, but you know what? There is a whole lot more hope. There's a whole lot more peace. A lot of less anxiety. Because I took it to the Lord in prayer. Jesus is modeling for us in this passage of Scripture, church, just how important he says prayer is. By the way he's living his life, he stays up all night praying to his Father about the decision that he needs to make. How much are you praying about the obstacle about the situation that you're faced with. Spend less time worrying about it and spend more time praying about it this week, today, and just see what God will do. That's the first insight. Prayer. What Jesus was about to do was critical, and prayer was of the utmost importance. Second thing I want us to see this morning is he chose 12. You know, he had lots of disciples. If you uh, read the passage of Scripture, in uh, verse 13 it says, And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12. If you read on in verse 17 and, and following, there's been a lot of people who have been following Jesus. A lot of followers, a lot of disciples, a lot of learners. But out of all these followers right now, he's going to choose 12. 12 who are going to be apostles. They're going to be the foundational leaders of the church that Jesus is going to establish. Why did Jesus choose 12 apostles? It coincides with the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay? The number 12 in choosing apostles, it was not a coincidence. Jesus is introducing new leadership to Israel. For you see, Israel, as it has been up to this point, is now apostate. Uh, they have drifted away from the truth of the Old Testament. And instead of what it, you instead of using what already exists, no, Jesus is going to do something brand new. Like I talked about last week when uh Jesus says you can't put new wine into old wine skins. Um because the old wine skins are are brittle and hard and if you put that new wine into those skins, the skins are going to burst. No, the new wine, the new, the new thing that the Spirit of God is going to do for Israel needs to go into new wine skins. It needs to be, the skins need to be flexible and adaptable. And if we're not flexible and adaptable as God's people, guess what? We're going to lose out on what the Spirit of God wants to do among us. 
And here, here we see Jesus, that he's introducing new leadership, and it can't cons- coincide with what is existing. No, it needs to be something brand new. And so he's going to choose apostles. He cannot use the old system of self-righteous works and ceremonies. He's going to introduce new leadership that is going to to reflect the true spiritual Israel. And the people that he chooses have got to believe the gospel. See, if his apostles were just comprised of self-righteous religious people, they would have thought that salvation was based on their goodness, their own righteousness. No, the people that Jesus is going to choose are going to have to believe the gospel. And what's the gospel? The gospel is the message that God alone saves through the person of Jesus Christ. And so it had to begin with brand new leadership. And so it's these 12 that uh, are going to be the new leaders of Israel. Now, Jesus says to his disciples in John chapter 22, I think it's in your outline this morning, John chapter or Luke chapter 22, verses 29 and 30, He says this to his apostles. He says, I assign to you as my father has assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. These apostles are going to judge the 12 tribes of Israel in the millennial kingdom. Now, 12 minus Judas, Judas Iscariot, okay? He, he, um, he uh, betrayed Jesus, and so uh, the disciples, apostles in Acts chapter 1 chose a new apostle in Matthias. But those, those apostles, they're going to reign over the 12 tribes of Israel in the millennial kingdom that the scripture talks about in Revelation chapter 20. And uh, not only do, are they going to reign, but the Bible says in the new heaven and new earth, um, in the new city, Jerusalem, in Revelation chapter 21, uh, it says this. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. And on the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb of God. And so, in the New Jerusalem, the 12 tribes of Israel are going to be at the top of those gates, the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, and the 12 apostles are going to be the foundation stones um, at each of those gates as well. Their name is going to be embedded in the asphalt, in the gold of the new city, Jerusalem. These apostles are going to be around for all eternity. These people are important. The, the life group that Jesus is going to establish 
is going to rule Israel and their names are going to be embedded in the city for all eternity. These, this is the foundation of the New Testament church with Jesus being the chief cornerstone. It was worth praying about. And Jesus spent all night in prayer regarding whom he should choose. So we see prayer. We see the number 12, why it had to be 12. And then the third thing I want you to see about these apostles is that these apostles, they were unique. Okay, these these apostles, they they um, they represented the authority of Jesus, and and Jesus' ministry continued through them in establishing the church. But these were unique men. This this office of apostle among these twelve men. That's that's ceased. That's that's no longer in existence. And and when you hear the word apostle today, the way it's used today is more as a church planter, one who is sent out to do to 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 start new work. But for these twelve, they were unique. Number one, they were handpicked by Jesus. In order to be an apostle, they needed to be there from the very beginning. They needed to have witnessed the, the baptism of Jesus by John. Acts chapter 1, verse 22. Uh, they discussed among themselves who was going to replace uh, Judas Iscariot. And that was one of the qualifications. They had to be an eyewitness of Jesus. They had to have witnessed his ministry from the very beginning. And so they had to be handpicked by Jesus. These apostles, according to uh, the New Testament, again, they were the foundation of the church. If you have your Bibles, look at Ephesians chapter 20, chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 says, well, let me start with verse 18 says, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's, member of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So these weren't just any people. These were going to be the foundation of the church. God is about to show them, teach them some things that he's not telling anybody else. He's telling these men who are going to teach the church. They're the foundation of the church. These apostles, number three, they're taught. Their uniqueness is is based on the fact that they are taught by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to his apostles before he went back into heaven, he said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. He's not going to be able to convey these things until after he's gone and he sent the Holy Spirit. You know, these disciples were the perfect example of attention deficit disorder. 
You know, Jesus would tell these these guys things. He would he would talk about his death. And it would go in one ear and out the other. As soon as he was done with that conversation, they would bring up some selfish question uh, regarding themselves. And you just have to imagine Jesus rolling his eyes and saying out loud, didn't you hear what I just said? Because, you know, when he talked about his death, this his death totally caught them off guard, didn't, didn't it, when he was crucified? I mean, they were beside themselves. They didn't know what they were going to do. They they never imagined this. And it wasn't until after his resurrection and ascension that the Spirit of God began to help them understand who this Jesus was all about. They They were uniquely trained by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit came and was their teacher. Look at John chapter 14, verse 26. The Bible says, Jesus says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. John 16, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you the things to come. We've already read Ephesians chapter 2. Look at Ephesians 4, 3, 3, 4, and 5. By revelation, Paul says, as he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already by which you read, you must understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. They were understanding things for the very first time after Jesus had had departed, that the Spirit of God was helping them to understand who Jesus was, what his ministry uh, was and is to be, and how this is to be applied to, to the church. These were foundational teachers. Their words were authoritative. What their words said were true. What they wrote down was was scripture. And their words, their their teachings were to be taken seriously as gospel truth. And the Bible says that as they taught, their ministry was accompanied by signs, wonders, and mighty deeds. I mean, what we see in the New Testament church, in the book of Acts in particular, supernatural miracles were occurring just like what had occurred in Jesus' ministry. And the reason why these things were occurring was to authenticate that what who these men were were true. And their words were to be, um, they were to be taken seriously. And you have some passages of Scripture down there. And the the last blank uh, in this portion, it says, Those things occurred to authenticate the, the apostles' message as the true word of God. 
I mean, supernatural things were occurring. And, and, you know, we ask ourselves the question, why don't those things occur today like they have, they occurred in, in the New Testament? Well, if you look at Scripture, basically there, there have been three periods of time throughout redemptive history where God did supernatural things. And God used um, man to do supernatural things. Uh, one period of history is with Moses and Elijah, or M- Moses and Joshua. The second period of history is Elijah and Elisha. And the third period of history is Jesus and the apostles. And in each of those periods, those periods last for about a hundred years. And what God is doing in those periods is God is authenticating the ministry of those men that he has raised up to lead the nation, lead the people of God. And so here's what we see occurring. These are reasons why these things occur in the New Testament and with these apostles. But understand, as the apostles got alone with God, as the Spirit of God conveyed these things, and as they spoke, as they wrote out Scripture, as they taught, their words were to be authoritative. And they saw them, their words already as authoritative. The, the people of that time, as, as uh, they listened to the apostles, they considered their words to be Scripture. Write down this verse, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. Peter talks about the fact that Paul's words, boy, they're hard to understand. He speaks in mysteries sometimes, but they are Scripture. They are authoritative. This is, these are 12 men, but these are 12 unique men who are getting the church established. And it's a period of time that cannot be repeated. Now, does God do miracles today? Absolutely. You know, you'll hear missionaries around the world talk about supernatural things that have occurred as they've as they've shared the gospel and, and God can intervene he can do things to to gather a crowd to get people's attention to to hear the truth of the gospel but for us in the United States of America that doesn't mean that God's not in the miracle working business today but we have the truth We have the scripture. And all we need to do as the people of God is believe and be obedient to what God has already said. And one of the first applications is prayer. Are we taking prayer seriously? Oh, we want a miracle. We want to see God do something supernatural. Well, are you praying about it? Are you believing God? for the impossible? Are you taking it before the throne? And so here we see the apostles' uniqueness. Next, I want you to see how ordinary these apostles are. 
And may this encourage each of us this morning. The people, the men that God picked, they were not religious people. Okay? And this, Jesus' selection of these men, it's an indictment on the religious community. Again, Jesus isn't looking for self-righteous religious people. That's not the gospel. That's not what brings us into relationship with, with the Lord. It's through our goodness. You know, the, the good things that we can check off of our list. That's not what gains God's approval for us as people. It's faith. You know what? You want to please God? Live your life by faith. And here Jesus chose very ordinary people who did not see themselves as morally superior or anything of that nature. They weren't living by a code of ethics. No, they were believing in a person. That's salvation. And that's whom Jesus wants to work through. Nothing especially, nothing um, or um, special about them. He didn't go after rich people or powerful people. He went by. He, he selected very ordinary people, and those are the people, church, whom God uses. God doesn't want to use people who are going to bring attention to themselves. He's going to use people who can give all the glory to God. You know, and a great example of that is in the book of Judges and the story of Gideon. Judges chapter 6 and 7, we don't have time to read that this morning, but you can go home and read it later. It, it's an incredible story. The nation of Israel is being oppressed. For the last six or seven years up to this point, uh, the Midianites and other ites have uh, been coming into um, Israel's territory during the uh, harvest season. And uh, just before the time of harvest, uh, Israel would be invaded and all the crops would be uh, plundered. It was like locusts would just come in and, and take over all the food, all the crops. All, all that hard labor uh, would go to their enemies. And um, an angel of the Lord called Gideon and uh, raised up Gideon to be the leader of an army that would defeat the Midianites. Gideon called 32,000 people together to fight an army. Um, don't know how how many were in the enemy's army, but they, the Bible says that it uh, outnumbered the grains of sand. There were just a lot of people, but he had 32,000 men. God saw that army of 32,000 men and decided, that's too many men. And so told Gideon, Gideon, just share with the message. If any of you are afraid to uh, to fight this battle, uh, you can go home now. And 22,000 men got up and went back home. They were too afraid. He was left with 10,000 men. 
still a significant group of people. God sees that group of men, too many people. And so God tells Gideon, I want you to get these men down to the water, and I want you to watch them drink. And for those who cup their hand and drink the water like normal people do, they're disqualified. They can't be in the army. They're going to go home. The only people, the only guys who can be in your army, Gideon, are people who drink water like lapping lapping water like a dog. Have you ever witnessed anybody drinking water lapping like a dog before? You know, I don't observe people drinking water often, but... I've never seen anybody lap water like a dog. How awkward is that? You know, who would do that? But apparently there were about there were 300 men who drank water like a dog. Gideon, those are the guys I'm going to call into battle. I don't know about you, but I. what were these guys like? You know, what were their personalities like? This is weird. But they're going to be armed and go into battle. But, you know, they're not going to be given guns or bows and arrows or thing, things of this nature to go into battle. You know what they're going to be armed with? They're going to be armed with a trumpet and jar. And a torch. That's what they're going to go into battle with. I mean, at least you'd think they'd have a chance if they had some F-18s or Apache helicopters surrounding them, you know, giving them air coverage. No, they're just going in with a trumpet and a jar and a torch. 300 guys go against this enormous enemy, army. And what what happens? They do what they're told, and the enemy flees. Can these 300 guys get the credit for what's happened? Absolutely not. All the glory and honor and praise goes to their God, their maker. God wants to use Ordinary people. Are you here and you drink water like a dog this morning? (laughs) You're qualified. You look at these apostles. There's four fishermen. Boy, that gives hope for me. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) At least you use fishermen. Four fishermen. One's a tax collector. We looked at uh, what a tax collector was all about a few weeks ago in, in Levi. Another was a zealot, uh, uh, a Jewish terrorist who hated the Roman go- government. Another was a traitor. Some of these guys we know very little about, and that that's the uh, that's the amazing thing about these apostles because we know very we so know so little about them. 
you know, we look at Judas Iscariot, and we think to ourselves, why did Jesus call Judas? If he knew he's, he was going to betray him, after three years investing all this time and energy, why did he choose Judas? I don't have an answer for that, other than the fact that Scripture in the Old Testament prophesied that this was going to happen. But you know a more amazing question? Why would God choose me? After all, I do the things that I do to disappoint him. That hurt him. That grieve his heart. Why, why would God choose me? Why would God choose you? God, Jesus chose these apostles who knew that he knew in his deepest, darkest moment when he would need them most, they would turn his back. But Jesus didn't turn his back on them. Jesus still loves them. Jesus calls them and says, follow me. I want you to be the leaders. I want you to be the foundation of the church that's going to be established on my name and your faith. And you know what they did? They said yes. They said yes to Jesus' life group. Why did they say yes? What possessed them to follow this man? Church, I believe with all my heart, they saw things in Jesus that they had never seen before in a religious person. They had grown up with the the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Sadducees and all these self-righteous, condescending people who knew the law better than they did. Here comes this man, this very ordinary man, who says he's God and does all these incredible things. But mostly is, is conveying to them how much God loves them and who he came to touch, to heal. He came for the marginalized, the poor, the oppressed, the blind. He came for them. And they saw in God, in Jesus, how much he loved them and cared for them. And they said, yes. Because Jesus came to change people's lives. And he was changing their life. And they had a desire to be a part of something that was far bigger than themselves. You know what? They were tired of just marking their days. 
going through their day, checking off their to-do list, looking at their calendar and marking through the day and waiting for the next day and doing it all over again. I think they were tired of marking their lives, marking their time, and they wanted to start marking other people's lives. And Jesus wanted to do this through them. And they said yes to Jesus' life group. Church, Jesus is telling us today that we need to continue in that same ministry, that same example that Jesus put forward with his initial life group, his apostles. We can't live our life for Jesus in isolation in aloneness. How do I know this? Because I've tried. And I have a tendency to continue to drift back to that default of doing it myself. No, Jesus wants us to do it in community with others. This is biblical. And the application of this message this morning, church, is... I hope you're in a life group. You know, we're going through this not, not a fan study, and uh, there's a there's a class that's meeting right after this uh, service. Um, uh, Karen, where where's the not a fan class meeting at 10:50? A11. If you're if if you're not in a life group and you want to get in on this uh, not a fan study, I want to encourage you to stick around. It's a six week study. Uh, have you started yet, Steve, or is today the first Sunday? It's second Sunday, but it's not too late to jump in. But see what a follower of Jesus looks like. What God desires for each of our lives. He doesn't want us to be a fan. He wants us to be a follower. What What's that like? For those of you who are in a life group, my challenge, my encouragement to you this morning is come here, Joel Comiskey, on the, the weekend of January, is it 26, Karen? Is that Saturday? Okay, January 26, that morning time. Don't just come as a leader, but come as a life group. We need to learn as a life group how to be an effective life group how to disciple others, how to serve in our community. Be what Jesus wants us to be. That's the application. This is the direction that we are going as a church, and we are going to take life group ministry very seriously. You know what? Everybody needs to be a part of one. And maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, Pastor, I, I've been in a life group before and, and uh, it didn't work for me. Well, guess what? You be the leader of one and you make a group that's going to work for everybody the way you think it needs to work. But get involved. Don't be a spectator. Get in the game. So you have uh, uh, in front of you this morning that connection card. I want to encourage you to take that connection card and say, count me in for the life group training January 26th. Joel Comiskey 
He has uh, taught life groups all over the world. He's written several books. He is a leading authority on life group ministry and how to make it successful. We need to hear him. And I encourage you to be here on that Saturday morning. And he's going to be coming and preaching in our service on that fall, on that Sunday of that weekend as well. It's going to be a great time together. Okay, so that's the um, that's the application of today's message. We're going to take an offering um, in just a moment here after we pray. And I encourage our ushers to uh, prepare for the offering. And uh, this morning, as we pray for our offering, we're pr- praying for the Bergmans. Ted and Gwen, and uh, they're with uh, Wycliffe Bible Translators. And I've asked uh, Ted what uh, what prayer requests they have. And uh, Ted said, these, for one, their their health is uh, doing good. As you know, uh, Gwen's been battling cancer, and uh, she's doing okay. Ted apparently has uh, prostate cancer as well. So, um First, I've heard of it this, but uh, they're both doing good, and and uh, he's just started treatment. But uh, as far as the Wycliffe ministry goes, um, they need um, IT personnel desperately. Um, uh, it involves a lot of different databases, and they're not able. To, he's not able to share his information with other religious organizations to uh, get a good handle on what's what's happening around the world. So he said, please pray earnestly to the Lord of the Harvest to send really good computer programmers. Maybe uh, you're a computer programmer, and uh, maybe God wants to call you into uh, um, full-time ministry with Wycliffe Bible Translators. But he's asked us to pray that uh, God raise up more computer programmers. All right, so let's let's pray as uh, we prepare for our offering. <clears throat> Jesus, I thank you for your example of of getting together with a small group of people and pouring your life into them. And uh and Lord, you are obviously successful because these apostles have been so critical to the foundation of the New Testament church. And Father, you want that same kind of ministry to continue. And thank you for the fact that you don't use extraordinary people, but you just use regular people who have a willing heart to serve, to follow you. Lord, I pray that we would each be obedient. I pray that as we look at life group ministry here at Emmanuel and how to do this in the future, that you'll use Joel Comiskey just to help us to be more more effective, more like Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your example of prayer. Help us to be people who pray. Friend, is there something this morning you need to ask the Lord for? You've been anxious, and Jesus is saying, ask me.
ask him. Lord, we pray for Ted and Gwen. We pray for their health. We pray for length of days. Lord, we thank you for you having called them to the ministry for all these uh, many years of faithful labor. Lord, you know uh, Ted's um, concern about uh, computer programmers. I pray that you would raise up IT specialists who would help accomplish the task that's yet to be done. Encourage them, Lord, this day. May they know that Emmanuel is praying for them. And thank you for the part that we have uh, in their in their ministry here. Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.